Oh my goodness. I love that song. It's so awesome. <laughs> it's the best. Oh, we are here at Liberty Forum here in New Hampshire, Hampshire. So we it's just like <laughs> Dave, it's just like Old Hampshire, but new. It is. It's new. And uh, DSL service. True story. Uh, we now have DSL. So anybody looking to uh, come here and uh, worried about the internet connectivity, we do have DSL. <laughs> <laughs> yes, folks. It's going to be like this for the next three days. You've got uh, myself, Vin Armani, and uh, Mr. David Butler. Woo! And an assortment of the most wonderful libertarians in the world here at Liberty Forum 2019 in lovely Manchester, New Hampshire. It's going to be it's going to be great. You've put together a schedule here that um, what would you how many people would you say we are going to be sitting down and talking to that are scheduled? Oh god, there's got to be 20. I mean, it's just a ton of people. 20. It looks like 50 to me. <laughs> so what we've got is we've got 3 wonderful days of libertarian fun speakers a lot of people just gathering you could probably hear it starting to pack up uh, we are here in downtown manchester and um i figured that we should just jump right into this yeah absolutely. Uh, because we're we're joined by somebody that i i uh, have come to to enjoy interacting with stefan kinsella is here i think to start this whole thing off i think that you are a good stefan i've been thinking about what are we going to talk about? This is the first time they've ever done a live broadcast. I think one of the things that's unique about New Hampshire, for those of us like myself who are, let's say, a little more on the, uh, the uh, no government side as opposed to the small government side, I think that there's this, this wonderful balance that you find here in New Hampshire between those two. I know you're, you're an interesting character, I think, to have this conversation with because I... I you, I think, academically have a lot of background that uh, is about why government should not be there, and yet you have found a great balance in being able to educate people about uh, what the things that we need to pay attention to. Let's get into a, a little bit of your background. Do you consider yourself an anarcho-capitalist? Uh a hundred percent yes. A hundred percent yes. Okay, so uh, so this is what I'm getting at. This is the place that I want to start. Let's talk about what is anarcho-capitalism. Because we're here in New Hampshire, we're at these events, it's one of the few places where you will actually maybe run into more than one anarcho-capitalist in the same place. Let's, let's talk about what this means, how this has informed you, um, and, and then we can get into, I think, how, how those of us who are here fit into this whole picture to start this out. Well, uh, you said uh, government, and of course, technically, we anarchists are against the state, mm -hmm. right? I mean, uh, I just let's, let's let's get into that. What's the difference? We talk about the the state as versus the government. What does what does this mean? So the way I think about it, and Albert J. Albert J. Nock actually wrote on this too about the distinction between government and the state. Um, when we drove in today from the airport, my, fr my friend and I, uh, with a nice driver, Jaffet, uh, we crossed the state line, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And uh, no one said we crossed the government line, you know? It's mm. just so the words are used differently, right? Uh, when Donald Trump recently had the government, partial government shutdown, no one said there was a state shutdown. Ooh, interesting. When in England, when there's a parliamentary election and they have to so-called form a new government, and sometimes there's not a government for a while, 
the word government has a distinctive meaning from the state. So the state is the corporate entity that we libertarians oppose. I think what the state has done is the state has co-opted private institutions and functions that uh, could and would exist privately, and then they've made people think that they have to be done by the state. We're talking about the roads, Maroads. The roads, but also the government itself. So okay. government really means the governing institutions, law, order, defense. Now, we anarcho-capitalists think that can be done privately. So really, we're not against government per se. Mm. We're just so used to identifying the government that the state runs with the state itself. So that, and the government and the state, of course, pushes that too, mm-hmm. right? So, uh, and of course, men are, even minarchists and statists push that idea. So that if you say you're against the state, then they will say that you've admitted that you're for chaos, you're against mm-hmm. order, because you've admitted now you're against the government because they use those words the same. So it's sort of like a trick, a trick they use with the language. So, yeah, I always say I'm against government, but or I say I'm against government schools. You can't say state school. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It gets confusing after a while, but at certain points you do need to clarify that, that we're not against law and order and rules and regulations. We're just against the monopolized and uh, you know, sort of coercive, violent imposition of them on us by the state itself. So I think an excellent example of this is um, – like the uh, Food and Drug Administration, right? So we have the USDA, we have the FDA, and the thought is, well, if we don't have these entities, government entities, then we will not have safe food and water and you know our meat is going to be contaminated. Uh, but then you look on the, in the private sector and you see like underwriters laboratories, right? So we actually do have a private solution that uh, certifies electrical products yes. uh, that you know there's no government entity that does that uh, but we have a private entity that does that why could there not be a private organization that serve the same purpose as the FDA or the USDA or whatever yeah and I think one distinction some libertarians have tried to make in the past like Murray Rothbard and even Ayn Rand to some extent is distinguishing between the functions that ought to be done and the ones that ought not to be done so Fire departments, uh, even even government or police department, uh, uh, you know, prevent preventing uh, regular crimes. Those are things that ought to be done. It's just the government does them or the state does them poorly or or inefficiently. Sure. But there are some things the state does that we don't want there to be done at all. Like uh, you know, like if you say, who would put people in jail for smoking marijuana in a private right, society? Right. The answer is <laughs> no one. Who would put you in jail if you don't pay your taxes? No one. So there are some functions that you want the government to do inefficiently. Um, and the other things that the government is doing that it shouldn't be doing, that private people should be doing, uh, then the question for libertarians is do you want them to do that more efficiently so that we're harmed less by the fact that they've monopolized it? Or do you want them to do it poorly so that it finally collapses and we can finally take over you know, in our revolution? So that, that's a strategical or tactical question, I think. So one of the things that I have always loved about participating in Free State Project events is that we are able to have these conversations and there are ideas for actual solutions. Now, from a moral standpoint, I don't think that it's necessary to have all of the solutions uh, or all of the alternatives 
presented to be able to say, well, you know, using violent coercion to get somebody to do what you want them to do is immoral. I think that that's immoral to start. But I, I think that it is interesting, you know, when we start to talk about, well, what are some of the ways that this could be done? I know that you have a, a strong background as a Misesian being around individuals. You know, for, for those people who are maybe tuning in, and have not been to New Hampshire, have maybe not spent a lot of time around libertarians, or trying to think, how does this thing all go down? Can, can we just delve into a little bit, because I know that this is, a, this is right in your wheelhouse, start delving into some of the places, maybe if we're talking about criminal justice, that's something people are worried yes. about. Infrastructure, that's something people always say, well, how would we do this no. without the government? Talk a little bit about how these things could happen. Well, uh, a lot of these... A lot of these uh, these issues are cases where they were all they were previously done privately mm. to one degree or the other, and then the government or the state slowly co-opted these things. Hans Hermann Hoppe has a great article from about twenty twenty five years ago, uh, "Banking in Nation States," mm. and he explains how the government insidiously adopts uh, uh, gets its way into one thing after the other: uh, the roads, communication, education, uh, and money. And when it gradually takes all these institutions over, it gets people thinking that that's the natural way of things. And if you want to know what would it be like in freedom, you just have to undo that or unravel it. Mm. Now, so many things have come about in the meantime, it's not always easy to predict. One thing I like to be careful about – and by the way, there's a ton of libertarian scholarship and literature and thought experiments and books that explain what what would be done in the absence of government, right? right. Private fire departments, things like that. But I think we do have to be careful that – we don't fall into the trap of admitting the case that there has to be a guarantee that it's going to be done. Hmm. So like if you have some you know, standard mainstream liberal in America and, and we say things like, well, you don't need, uh, you don't need welfare or public schools or, 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 or government-insured uh, uh, health care because in the free market that would be taken care of. They say how? And we say, well, people would pay for it themselves. What about the poor? They'll say. Right. And then, we, and then we always say, well, there'd be charity. But what these people want is a guarantee, right? And if you right. can't give them a guarantee, and we can't give them a guarantee. But can the government give them a guarantee? Well, that's the point. And right. so, so I always say, well, look, Medicare and Social Security, they're going to collapse at a certain point right. because they're not stable. Some right. governments fall. So right. you can't guarantee that anyway for the long, for the long run. Yeah, I think that's... Uh, I think that's really important is that there, there seems to be a – well, it's not that there seems to be. There is definitely a, uh, a mass hypnosis, I mean, you might say a, a mind control even toward the government, which in no part due to government schools. I don't know how uh, you know, someone's going to educate you that they're a bad, a bad choice or a bad idea. I want to talk about um, you know, one of the things that I think is one of the big hy- hypnoses and it's actually how the first time you and I got a chance to interact was I uh, moderated a debate that you, uh, I was remote, I was in Las Vegas, but you and uh, Craig Wright were in London. Uh, it was a debate about intellectual property, which uh, is your uh, specialty. Talk a little, which is kind of, some might think is ironic for an anarcho-capitalist to be, uh, to be, professional in the world of intellectual property. Talk to us a little bit about that sort of mass hypnosis about things 
about the government being able to license ideas, about how you became involved and interested in the idea of intellectual property. Well, okay, as for anarcho-capitalists and other libertarians, um, I mean, I've been involved in this since the mid-80s, and I've come across many libertarians who have very strange ideas, uh, not just about what you mentioned, but my be me being an IP lawyer, a patent lawyer, and also being a libertarian who opposes it, but just the idea of having, <laughs> even having any job at all and paying right. taxes okay. to, to buy cruise missiles or being a lawyer and having to swear allegiance to the state bar. I've had these kind of libertarian kind of cranks, and I think largely they just want to have an excuse to not be paying income taxes because they don't have a job or, you know, it's, it's an excuse to go off the grid. Mm -hmm. Look, if you want to go off the grid, go off the grid. Um, if I were out there advocating for the law that I say is one of the worst laws that we've ever had, and I, I can go into that in a second, um, yeah. or if I were actually prosecuting it in the sense of helping uh, attack innocent victims, there would be a case for hypocrisy. Mm. But even that is not an argument against what I'm proposing. It just mm. means I'm a hypocrite and I'm trapped in the system. Um, but as a matter of fact, the problem is the system is so complex and arcane, people don't understand what I do. I mean, most people, that, even that are married, they don't understand what everyone does. Everyone has such specialized mm -hmm, jobs now. Mm -hmm. Most people I know don't really know what I do as a patent attorney. But I'm able to pick and choose, and I have picked and choose, where I do a certain thing, but I don't do other things. And mm -hmm. I never have done the other things, which I regard as immoral. Um, would I forgive someone who did it? Yeah, I can understand. The system encourages people to do things like this, right? But uh, look, let's assume that the patent system and the copyright system we have is very problematic and very damaging to mm -hmm. society, which I think it is. Who would you expect to know that other than someone who's skeptical of the state and knows economics and actually knows what the law is like, which is right. me? So I don't think it's surprising that I know that. Um, in the end, I view myself more like an oncologist, like a doctor who has a career fighting cancer. Mm. He wants there to be a world where there's no cancer. If he achieved that someday, he wouldn't have a job anymore, mm -hmm. right? He, so he's trying to put himself out of business, and I'm doing the same thing. Um, in the meantime, I defend companies from the system that exists because that need is there given that the system exists. Mm. So. It's, it's a difficult, it's a difficult, tricky thing because sometimes you have clients that want you to turn aggressive, and I don't want to do that in my career as a libertarian. Uh, but I don't think everyone else has the luxury that I have uh, as being a lawyer. So I've, I've been able to pick and choose and to steer it a certain way, and I've been happy with that. And it's helped to educate me on the right way to make the case against what I think is one of the worst and most insidious uh, laws why? out there. Why? Why is in a – most people wouldn't uh, – I, I believe – you know that I believe that. Yep. That, we're, that we, yep. are, we are in lockstep on that. You're right. Most people, they, they have no clue. Most people wouldn't – would say intellectual property. I think, I think most libertarians would if, – if you had them in a room for five hours. <laughs> right, exactly. I can persuade them that it's uh, unlibertarian. In five minutes, can but, you persuade our audience that it is that there is a problem with the intellect with intellectual property? I, I'll, I'll, I'll try. It'll okay. be a little bit esoteric, but let's do it. The, the, but the point: if I persuade someone that it's wrong, they still don't think it's one of the top twenty problems in society. Okay. I think it's the top one or two or three, to be honest. Explain why. The basic reason is that we humans, there are two things we have to do in life and that we need in life to survive, and that is to use the scarce resources in the world. You know, we, we live on a, on a scarce planet. 
but we also use our knowledge and our mm -hmm. ideas. So basically those two things are essential and crucial to human flourishing and prosperity. The, the knowledge of, of how the world works and then command of these resources. Now the resources are things that we can fight over and clash over. So it's good that you and I can, um, you and I can cooperate in society. We benefit from the division of labor and from living among other people. But there's also the danger of violent force among us. Mm. So we have property rules that, emer that emerge that define who owns which things. But these is, this is just one half of human action. The other half is knowledge. And if you notice, over time, human society grows by the accumulation of knowledge. The more we learn from one generation to the next, the more mm -hmm. recipes and ideas sure. we have. And everyone's free to use that to guide their actions and there's no scarcity of that. In other words, you and I can't use your car at the same time, but we can both use the same design for a car at the same time. I can make mm. an identical car to yours, or I can uh, grow corn in my fields using the same technique as you. And we, when one idea make, prospers, it spreads across the world mm -hmm. more fast, uh, quicker now, right, because of the internet. But even in the old days, it would spread eventually. Mm -hmm. Whatever successful techniques worked would spread. People would learn, humanity grew. So the reason we're wealthy is because of the combination of knowledge and scarce resources. Property rights are essential for one, but they're devastating towards the other. If you try to impose property rights on ideas, you actually stifle their spread and you penalize people from using them. Mm. So you slow down the accumulation of that knowledge part of human action and success. So I actually believe that the human race is far poor now because of the cumulative effect of the stifling of innovation and human and artistic freedom because of copyright and patent laws than we would have been. We would be far wealthier and richer. Patent laws and even copyright laws literally kill people. Patent laws uh, kill people because it reduces the supply of life-saving drugs. Sure, like absolutely. It, like in the, uh, what was the case? Screlly, right? Uh, well, Mar well, so Martin, actually Martin Screlly is a bad, bad example because that was actually out of patent. Interesting. He okay. used the FDA process, which is sort of like an extension on the patent system. So the FDA system imposes a secondary monopoly, which is similar to patents. Okay. And in fact, the FDA system is often one excuse used to have a patent system because people say, well, how can I recoup my costs after going through this lengthy and expensive FDA right. process? Right. They, they force you into it. So in the government yeah. imposes FDA regulations. It increases costs, reduces supply, slows down progress. Uh, and it also forces companies during the trial phase to, re to reveal their secrets mm. to all their competitors. So at the, at two or three or four years later when the FDA finally approves it, all their competitors have already reverse engineered the right. public information that they were forced to reveal. They're ready to compete right away. In a free market, you wouldn't necessarily have to reveal. You could have trade secrets. You could have more trade yes. secrets. And in fact, one of the excuses for patent law is that Trade secrets aren't as efficient. We want to encourage people to reveal their knowledge to the world. So we're going to give them a monopoly for 17 years to make them – that's what the patent bar It's very silly. That's a very silly argument. Well, the whole – every argument for IP is ridiculous. And the problem is you have patents, copyrights, trademarks, trade secrets, and then arcane things like trade uh, – uh, trade dress, moral rights, uh, rights of attribution, boat hole designs, bizarre things like this. Right. And no one understands this right. except for a few weird patent lawyers like me. So everyone gets it confused, even the people making the arguments for IP. You know, mm. they, they'll switch from trademark to copyright in the same sentence, even though their argument doesn't make any sense, apply from one to the other. And then mm. if you say, listen, 
that's not the way the law works. They'll say, well, I'm not an expert. I'm like, that's fine. <laughs> but you seem to have a vociferous opinion on this horrible, evil system. I really fundamentally believe that the world would be – and it's not just IP. I think it's this idea of copying and of information. I mean you have Trump renegotiating these trade deals, and we can argue about free trade and things like that. But part of his argument is that China is stealing our intellectual property, mm -hmm. and everyone agrees. Everyone's agreeing with that. Even the Democrats are clapping when he says that. What does that even mean? They're not stealing anything. Right. They don't even. They're not even specific. Do they mean? Uh, do they mean trade theft? Trade secret theft? Do they mean violating patents that they don't have? Do they mean that they have a weak patent enforcement system under their courts? They're never clear about exactly yeah, what, what does they it mean. mean. So, uh, I, and I do appreciate your clarity. You're going to be speaking twice here this weekend um correct you've got yes. something something today later today evening? we're having a a, a a round table sort of debate about immigration policy so that is definitely something for the people who are checking out the stream who also happen to be here uh stefan is uh really dynamic in the debate format so i would advise everybody to check that out and then tomorrow uh Tomorrow I'm talking about property rights in general, which feeds into what we're talking about here. It sounds boring, and maybe it is boring to some people, but to me, this opens up a whole new vista. It's sort of like when we talked about government versus the state and mm -hmm. getting your terms clarified. I'm going to talk about the concept of property and how it links into what liberty and freedom are, and why, why do we libertarians care about property so much? And, and conversely, why do our, our enemies accuse us of thinking property has rights and things like that, which right. we don't really believe, but right. you can see why they're a little bit right on the money in saying, I thought you guys were for liberty. Now you say you're in favor of rights for property. Which right. one are you for? So I want to clarify the, the, the relationship between property rights and liberty. Excellent. So uh, I'm, looking, I'm looking forward to that. Hopefully I get to, to pop in a little bit on both of those. We've got some, some breaks in between. I may just leave out and leave Dave here to just, <laughs> just, just, just say something just this, with the smooth voice. Thank you, Stefan, for stopping in. Uh, we will see you, see you throughout. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. So, uh, David. Yes, sir. Let's talk about who we're going to have in addition. We have so many, so many guests coming up. Thanks, Stephanie. Unbelievable. So later on uh, today, we're actually going to be talking to Lynn Ulbricht, uh, the mother of uh, Ross Ulbricht, and uh, such a tragic story. And, you know, so I, I think we'll obviously talk about, you know, Ross's case and, and what's been going on with Ross, but <clears throat> also the, um, the activist work that she 